So it was about two weeks ago, and uh, the, the board and staff of Grace, we were on a retreat for a couple of days. It was a leadership retreat, and um, we were uh, part of the retreat was listening to some provocative speakers on leadership and listening to some different sermons and uh, just taking some time to reflect. And one of the speakers that we heard was uh, a guy named Tim Keller. You may have heard his name before. He pastors a church in New York City and has written uh, a couple of books. I know that one of them is The Reason for God. It's on the New York Times bestselling list, I believe. And uh, so he was giving a talk, and um, this talk was, it, it, it so messed with all of us in, in like a really good way. And, and for the last two weeks, I've just been kind of like reflecting and thinking, and it's just been kind of, I've just been constantly kind of focusing on this message that he gave. And so it was, it was so good, in my opinion, that I wanted to do something this morning that I've never done before, which is, uh, in a sense, to preach someone else's sermon. So this is like plagiarizing without the guilt, because I've told you in advance that we're doing it. So it's great. Um, and so if you have your Bible, I always encourage you to bring your Bible uh, and just take notes right in your Bible. Um, if you have your Bible, take it out and turn to Luke chapter 15. It's uh, the third gospel in the New Testament. Uh, Luke chapter 15. Uh, this is um, a message today um, entitled Recovering the Heart of the Gospel. And it comes from a very familiar Bible story, one that I'd be willing to bet that almost every single one of you who has grown up in church has heard before. And that is the parable of the prodigal son. So um, the deal is that... Um, I, I, I just I heard this in a whole new way, and I just I can't wait to share it with you guys. So, uh, if you haven't heard it before, or maybe it's been a while since you've heard the parable of the prodigal son, uh, let me just give you a, a really quick overview of what's going on. So Jesus tells this story that there's a, there's uh, this father, and he has two sons. The younger son decides basically he really just wants his father's money, and so he asks his dad. He said, even though you're not dead. Uh, I'm, can I just have my share of the estate? And he goes off. Total disrespect to the father. I mean, humiliating to the father. And basically, the, the younger son goes off, and he just blows his entire inheritance on just, I mean, just all sorts of bad choices. I mean, whatever immoral behavior that you can think of, he is out there doing that. And uh, when he gets to the point where he's blown everything that he has, he reaches this rock-bottom moment. And in that moment, he kind of has this revelation that as he's starving and looking for food, that he would be better off to return home to his father and just ask to be like a servant in the father's house. And so he returns to his father, and as he's coming back home, his father sees him while he's a long way off, and the father runs out to the son and embraces him and throws the best robe around the younger son and puts a ring on his finger. And he says, come on, we're going to celebrate. And they, they kill the fatted calf and they have this huge party, which is to the total disgust and dismay of the older brother who can't believe what's happening. And so, you know, basically the, this huge celebration that ensues um, is kind of the culmination of the story. That's, that's really how the story ends. And, um, I don't know about you, but if you've heard this story before, um, I've always just kind of associated with the younger brother in the story. And I think this goes back to, for me, uh, that, you know, I grew up going to church and, and, you know, all through high school and everything, and I was just kind of very straight-laced and did everything I was supposed to do. And then when I got to college, man, and I know this isn't true for anyone else in this room, but when I got to college, like, 
something just happened to me, and I just, I just said, man, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to take a break, and I'm just going to kind of figure things out for myself. And I had about a six-year period where I was pretty much, uh, you know, I just kind of did whatever I felt like doing. And I lived kind of by my own set of rules and standards. And, um, and so, you know, that, that kind of that six-year period in my life, it just has always reminded me of the younger brother. I just, that's who I associate with in the story. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I've always just assumed that, that the point of the story, that the overriding main point that Jesus was trying to tell in this parable is that no matter what you've done in your life, no matter how bad you've blown it, no matter what, what's gone on, God loves you no matter what. And that if you're willing to humble yourself and return to God, that God will forgive you of whatever you've done. I mean, that's what I've always understood the point to be. But what's really interesting is, although that is a point that Jesus was trying to convey through the parable, no doubt, that that is actually not the overriding point that he was trying to communicate to his audience. The point he was trying to communicate to his audience had nothing to do with the younger brother at all. It was actually to do with the older brother, who, if you're looking in your Bible, and you see kind of in the parable the way it's laid out in the narrative, that whole last section is the father addressing the older brother, not the younger brother. He's addressing the older brother. Jesus is building this message. His whole punchline, his whole point is geared toward the older brother. And so I want to read, with you, read for you um, a few verses here out of Luke 15, 28 through 30, because we often kind of gloss over them or they get lost. Check this out. It says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So this is like the younger brother's come back. The father has welcomed him back in. The big celebration's going on. And the older brother is just beside himself. It says, uh, so he, he became angry and he refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who's squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. Older brother in this story is just absolutely furious with his father and the way things have gone down. And listen, we know that Jesus' whole point here that he's driving at, we know that it's focused on the older brother. And the reason we know it's focused on the older brother, the older brother who is just absolutely furious, right? is because look at who Jesus is talking to in the beginning of Luke 15. I, I never noticed this before. Luke 15, uh, 1 through 3, those first three verses. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And it says, Then Jesus told this parable. And then Jesus tells a series of three parables. And this final one we're focusing on today is kind of the culmination. But you've got to understand that, that the, Jesus is making a point to the Pharisees and the religious leaders who would have completely associated themselves. They would have completely related to the older brother in the story. You see, they were the ones that they were all about following the rules. It was all about religion for them. It was all about doing what you were supposed to do. The list of do's and don'ts. And what Jesus is saying to them is, look, I'm telling you something through this older brother in the story that is just going to rock your world. And, and so here's kind of some revelations. Again, this, this message came primarily through uh, Tim Keller, and, and I'm just sharing some of the things in the way that they hit me. So 
the reality of the story is this. See, we all know that the younger brother's lost in the story, right? We all, it's just that's obvious. It was in the title, the lost son, prodigal son. But what we fail to realize is that the older brother is lost too. Did you notice that? See, when you get to the end of the story, what's happening is the older brother is actually outside of the feast. He's outside of the banquet, okay? The feast, the banquet, that symbolizes salvation. That symbolizes eternal life. So here you have the older son who is actually now, he, he is lost. See, the younger brother, we know what the younger brother was all about. We know what his motivation was, right? He wanted the money. That's what it was for him. He didn't care about the father. He cared about the father's money. That's what he wanted. Give me the inheritance and he was gone. But here's what's so interesting. The older brother in the story, even though he was at home and never disobeyed his father's orders, the perfect Pharisee, the perfect religious leader, he didn't care about the father either. He was all about his father's money too. That's why he's so amped up, you guys, when, when the brother comes back home and you know that robe and that ring and that fatted calf? Who do those belong to now? Okay, if the, if, if the younger brother's had his entire share of the inheritance, what, whose is the remainder? The older brother. So that's the older brother's stuff that's being actually given back to the younger brother now. He's furious. The older brother is furious about this. Okay? And just, just think with me for a second. Okay, think with me. If the older brother really cared about the father, if he really loved the father, okay, this is the, one of the greatest days of the father's life. His younger son, his baby boy, has returned. He's come back home. The father, you know, there's no Facebook updates. There's no Twitter. There's no, you know, there's no cell phones. So, so he doesn't know what happened to the younger brother. As far as he knew, this, the, the brother was dead. His son was dead. So here it is. This is a glorious day in the father's life. Does the older brother care? He won't even go in to celebrate. He doesn't care about the father, you guys. What he really cares about is the father's stuff. See, what Jesus is trying to illustrate for us in this parable is that while the brothers took two dramatically different paths, one kind of the classic bad boy path and the other path, the really good goody two-shoes path, okay? They're two different paths, but it's exactly the same thing that causes them to be lost. They're both lost for the exact same reason. They don't really love the Father. They don't want a relationship with the Father. Actually, what they're after is they just want a way that they can get to the Father's things. They want to be able to control the Father. And, you know, what this kind of illustrates for us in our life is that, you know, as much as we hate to admit it, we're all control freaks, okay? We, we are, okay? And I don't just say that because I know I'm a control freak, but just think about it. We all want to be in control. There's two primary ways that we can do it, okay, when it comes to kind of thinking about us and God. The first way that we can try and take control of our life is we say, okay, well, God has these things that he lays out for us and these things that I'm supposed to do, and apparently if I do those things, it'll be cool and everything. But you know what? I don't, I don't want to do those things. So you, the one way to kind of c- take control is to say, I'm just going to kind of reject that stuff. I'm going to reject God. I'm going to reject those things, and I'm going to kind of do my own thing because, because that's how I'm going to control things. 
But the other way, and this is the way that just started to completely rock me this last couple of weeks, the other way that we can actually try and take control of our life is by being really, really good. It's by saying, okay, well, if there's all these things that I'm supposed to do, you know, like and God wants me to do, I'm just going to do them all. I'm going to come to church every Sunday. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my tithe. I'm going to go out and I'm going to help the poor. I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to do all those things that God wants me to do. I'm going to try and live up to that standard. I'm going to be as, as good as I can be. I'm going to be that dutiful older brother. And in a sense, we do that because in the back of our mind, just track with me here, in the back of our mind, it's ultimately just like that older brother that we think if we do all those things, God's going to hear my prayers. God's going to bless my life. Things are going to go better for me. God's going to take care of me if I am really, really good. And that's essentially what the older brother is doing in this story. And what I realized as I kind of heard this message two weeks ago was, you know, I, I know I could relate to the younger brother, but I started to relate more and more to the, young, to the older brother. And what I realized is, am I doing these different things that I'm doing in my life? Am I trying to just be as good as possible and do all these things? Because ultimately, is it because I really care about God? Or is it because I want stuff from God? Is God like my end goal? That I just want, I want to have more of God in my life? Or is God my means to an end, which is Derek being blessed? And, and I really, really wrestled with that one. Because you see, I just have this belief that um, if you're trying to follow God, and especially if you're kind of, you know, doing the church thing, okay, which can very easily be mistaken for religious activity or religion, um, that if you do that, you're, you fundamentally have an issue, and here's the issue. I believe we all have an older brother inside of us. And it's one level or another, we're all influenced by that older brother inside of us that whispers things to us and convinces us of things that aren't necessarily true. And I was just so convicted um, this past week uh, as I heard some different characteristics of, of older brothers. And I just I want to share a few with you, and, and maybe, uh, maybe you'll be able to relate. In fact, it was interesting. This was like, it was so much like coming at me as I was listening that I actually found myself kind of like thinking, oh, I see that in this other person. Oh, man, I really wish someone else would hear this. Like, and I had people in my mind. This is no joke. I had people in my mind because I couldn't take it. I was hearing this stuff coming at me, and I was like, oh, man, she, there's this person. She's so dysfunctional. She just desperately needs to hear this message. And it, it, what it was is the older brother kind of inside of me going, this isn't about you. It's cool. You're good. You're good. So just just hold on. If, if you start to freak out a little bit, it's okay. Just, just take, take a deep breath. It's going to be all right. All right, let me give you some characteristics of the older brother that I believe we all have living inside of us to some extent or another. The first characteristic is this. Older brothers think they're better than other people. You think, oh, we don't think that. You know, we don't, we don't, none of us in this room would think we're better than anybody else. Right? Hold on. Uh, verse 30, the older brother's talking to the father. And remember, he's, you know, he's, he's just in this tirade. He's outside the feast. The father's come out, and he said, You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And then he says this, But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Do you notice how he refers to his brother? 
He doesn't even call him his brother. He doesn't even refer to him by name. He says, but this son of yours, he's so disgusted with his younger brother's behavior. You see, what's happening is that he thinks he's so far superior to his younger brother, doesn't he? See, what happens is the older brothers inside of us basically think of all the things that we're doing, and, and it puts us on this level. It's like we're so much better than all these other people and how they're messing up and screwing up and sinning and doing all these things in our life. You see, it leads us to a spirit of judgment. These things, I believe, are very subtle. It's easy to recognize the younger brother because, you know, we can remember those times when we were the younger brother, can't we? When we were all, you know, we were, we were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But this is where I think it's really, this is really significant. Now, um, I'll just give you a couple of examples of this. See, maybe, um, maybe you're somebody who's just a very hardworking person. And this is Washington, D.C., or it's kind of a hardworking town. You know, everyone's, everyone's working hard, working tons of hours. And um, maybe, um, maybe you take a lot of pride in the fact that, you know, you work hard. And everything you've got, you've earned it, and you deserve it. Um, and that's not necessarily bad in and of itself. But here's what I think the, young, the older brother inside of us starts whispering to us. It, it, the older brother inside of us, we, we see uh, uh, someone who's lazy. Or we see someone who, either because they have some sort of a medical or psychological condition, uh, they just can't seem to get motivated. They just, you know, they're just having a hard time having that same level of energy and motivation that we are. And that older brother inside of us just whispers, that's pathetic. You know, and we kind of inside we say, man, I'm just better than that person. You know, maybe we take pity on them or whatever. But inside, I think there's an attitude of our heart that's judging them. Or maybe you're you're someone who just you know pretty much has your life together. I mean, you're a pretty put together person, uh, you know. And and you see those younger brother types. You know, we all have a younger brother type somewhere in our life. You know, God love them. And uh, and and you see that younger brother type of person, and and kind of the attitude of your heart. The, the older brother inside of you is just like, man, would this person ever get it together? I mean, you kind of take stock of the fact that you're so much better off, that God loves you, that God you know, is so much happier with you than that other person. So that's the first one. The older brother inside of us makes us think that we're better than other people. The second characteristic is that older brothers practice joyless obedience. Older brothers practice joyless obedience. This is basically the idea of the reason that I obey God is because that's what I'm supposed to do. Verse 29, um, the older brother is saying to his father, he says, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Did you catch that? He says he's been slaving for his father. See, the reality here is that there's no joy. There's no joy in the older brother. Okay? He's doing all this stuff for his father, but there's, there's, no, there's nothing in there. right? It's all duty. It's all drudgery. It's all obligation. And let me, let, let's just be clear on something. Whenever you're in a relationship with someone, whether it's a relationship with God or a spouse or a friend or a, a parent or whoever it is, there are aspects and elements of duty and obligation that go into it. I mean, for sure, we can all relate to that. But the older brother basically sees the entire thing as just slavery, just duty. It's duty from top to bottom. There's no joy in it. And 
when we kind of have this spirit where we're just, you know, what we're doing is we're just practicing joyless obedience, it leads us to the final thing. The final characteristic is that older brothers feel entitled. Older brothers just feel a sense of entitlement from the father. You know, when the, when the older brother says to his dad, he says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. What's he really saying there? What's he saying to his father? What's the underlying message that's going on there? He's saying, look, haven't you seen all that I've done for you? Don't you realize all the things that I've done for you, God? You owe me. You, you owe me this. Like, you can't do it this way. Older brothers became, become incredibly frustrated when things don't go their way. See, something goes on inside the older brother and basically is saying, you know, if I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing, if I'm going to church and I'm doing a good job of being religious and I'm obeying and I'm just like, I'm just good, you know, I'm just doing all that stuff. But somehow, you know what? Uh, God's supposed to answer my prayers. And so when our prayers don't get answered, when things don't turn out the way we want, it's incredibly frustrating. And that older brother inside of us just says, this isn't right. I deserve better than this after all that I've been doing. Um, you see, older brothers um, have this kind of this mental model. And I want you guys to write this down because I think this is really important to, uh, to grasp. The mental model that they have, which is a complete wrong mental model, it goes like this. I obey, and because I obey, I'm accepted. If I'm doing everything that God asked me to do, I'm going to church, I'm reading my Bible, I'm giving my whatever that I'm giving, doing my duty. If I do those things and God accepts me, God loves me. God will bless me. You guys, that is a completely false gospel. There's no truth at all to this paradigm. The message of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is completely counter to this. The gospel of Jesus Christ says this. I'm accepted not by anything that I could do, because the Bible says that we're all sinners. As John talked about last week, we're all sinners. We've all messed up. None of us is perfect. The only way that we're accepted is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus' sacrifice, he lived the perfect life that none of us could live. And by, by what he did on the cross, if we just accept that, we just say, God, forgive me for my sins through Jesus, we're accepted by nothing that we can do. And because we're accepted, and this is where the rub is, right here. Because we're accepted, we obey. It's a posture of our hearts. Because now I realize that God loves me and accepts me exactly for who I am, but it's nothing that I could do. Because I'm accepted, therefore, I obey. You see, we, somewhere in this, and I have, at times, I have just completely lost it. I've lost sight of the true heart of the gospel. See, the gospel is not about do's and don'ts. And inherently, we know this. I mean, if you've looked at Jesus, if you've studied what he taught, Jesus was never about 
the do's and don'ts, all the things that you should do and shouldn't do, right? In fact, he railed against a particular group of people, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, because what were they all about? They were all about a list of do's and don'ts, right? It was all about this drudgery, this, this obedience. It was all about all these things that they could do for God. And Jesus said, that's not it. See, being a follower of Jesus Christ, putting your faith in Christ has nothing to do with religion. And after you do it, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden, okay, good, I'll put my faith in Christ, and then next week you better be in church. Next week you better start giving your tithe. Is that what it's about? It's not about that at all. The gospel isn't religion. The gospel isn't morality at all. It's not. See, what ultimately Jesus is after here in this parable is he's saying, look, listen, if the older brother could do everything the father asked him to do, if he obeyed and he, and he never disobeyed, okay? He, so basically, like, he was the perfect religious person. Jesus is saying he's still lost. Why? Because the underlying motivation wasn't right. See, the gospel is a heart issue. The gospel isn't about your goodness. It's about why you do what you do. It's why you're good. That is what it's all about. You see, if the underlying motivation for, what you, for doing things is just, I just do it because I feel like I should, I just feel guilty, I feel like this is my duty, um, you can sustain that for a little while, but, but you're not going to sustain that in the long term. Your underlying motivation has to be a full understanding of the fact that you're accepted by God exactly who you are through what Jesus did for you, and that's what leads you to obey. That's got to be your motivation. Your motivation basically has to be, I'm doing this because I'm, it's a love for God and a love for other people. The older brother clearly didn't have that motivation. He was slaving. It was duty. If the older brother had had that motivation and he saw how grieved his father was that his youngest son, his baby boy, had gone off, didn't even know where he was, what do you think a good, a true older brother would have done in that situation? He would have gone after his brother. He would have, he would have sacrificed and he would have gone out and no matter what the cost, and he would have gone out to try and rescue his younger brother. But he didn't do that. See, the younger brother didn't have a true older brother. But here's the good news for us. We do. We have a true older brother. See, what the Bible tells us is that the reality is, and this is just how this is just how it goes. We all we have all fallen short of God's perfection. We've all fallen short of his holiness. We've all done things. We've all blown it in some way or another. And we are all in need of someone to come along and put us into right standing with God because on our own terms, we cannot do it. Not a single person in this room can do it. And so the reality is that we are in that position, lost. That's us. But we have a true older brother who came from heaven to earth, didn't just go from his father's house like across the country to find a younger brother. He came from heaven to earth for us, took the form of a servant, didn't even really have a place to lay his head lived a perfect life, endured tremendous criticism, had attempts made on his life, eventually was beaten, was mocked, was flogged, and was finally, just think about this, he was hung naked on a cross. I mean, you talk about 
God going to great lengths to prove how much he loves us? This was the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made for us. So we would no longer have to worry, how, how, how do I stand in God's eyes? We don't have to worry about that anymore. We know where we stand in God's eyes. He loves us. He accepts us exactly as we are. If we can grasp this, you guys, if we can fully grasp the true gospel message, if we can get this concept right here, okay, that there's nothing that we can do. If you're here and you feel guilty when you miss church several times in a row or you feel guilty when you haven't given or, you know, whatever, if you're in that mindset that there's all this stuff that you have to do to kind of like earn God's favor or to earn God's love, there's nothing that you can do. If you come to this point where you realize that it's only through Jesus Christ that you're accepted, if you can get to that point, it is so deeply humbling. It, It destroys the older brother inside of you. You can know, if you really grasp this thing that doesn't depend on you, it shatters this feeling of like you're better than other people. Because what you realize is that even though you thought you were better than this other person who doesn't have it together or is really lazy or whatever, is unmotivated, you know, they're just, we're all just dealing with our own stuff. We're, we're all falling short. And it, 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 you, it's so hard to judge. It's so hard to hold bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. When you pray, it's, it's, and when you kind of think about God, and, you, and it, 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 it's so much harder to be, have this sense of entitlement before God. God, you owe me. Look at all this stuff that, you know, that, that I've been doing for you. No, it's about what Jesus has done for me. And so for me, the last couple of weeks, just in my prayer life, I noticed it. I mean, God still wants us to ask for things. He's very clear about that. But what it's done is it's given me a whole kind of rejuvenated my prayer life in terms of my thankfulness and my gratitude. And finally, if we can grasp this concept, if we can fully grasp the gospel that Jesus died for us, that that's what sets us free. You see, it's no longer about joyless obedience. It's no longer about duty or drudgery or obligation. Instead, we realize that God is that crazy about us, what he did for us. It just naturally just builds into us, and we just have this overflow of joy. And basically, we just want to love God back. We just say, God, for all you've done for me, you know what? I can't thank you enough. I'm going to go out and I'm going to try and love other people because I know that's what you were all about. I'm going to go feed the poor and I'm going to go give back to what you're doing, God. See, when we really grasp this thing, it sets us free. And that older brother inside of us can no longer, can no longer function. We no longer hear those whispers. We no longer believe those lies. That's what it's all about. And so essentially there's, there's two types of people in this room. There's those of us who kind of are still at a place where we really associate with the younger brother. We feel like that's just kind of where we are. And then there's others of us who maybe we're realizing, maybe for the first time, that we have part of this older brother inside of us. And even though we know inherently that you know, it's only by the grace of God that uh, we're saved. But somehow it's become about religion. It's become about some do's and don'ts. We notice, we check the box, and, uh, and we have a sense of entitlement before God. And so the, the key here is realizing that there's nothing that we can do to earn God's love, to earn God's favor. There's nothing. And it's returning 
to this idea that it's all about what Jesus has done for us. So I, I wrestled with uh, how to end the service this morning. And uh, I really wanted us to have a chance to just kind of absorb this and process, and maybe you need some time to kind of think and pray and reflect. And so uh, kind of what, what hit me was that the best thing to do would be to serve communion. So um, I'm going to ask those who are involved with communion to go ahead and just go on back and come right up to the front. We're going to serve communion as soon as you guys get up here. And I'm going to ask the music team to, to jump up on stage, and they're going to uh, play a song for us. Uh, and l- let me just tell you, um, again, one of the core things about Jesus, Jesus did not come to establish a religion. Okay, Can we be very clear about that? He did not come to set up a religion. And he did not come to set up just things that have become, you know, somewhat kind of routine or have lost their meaning, like communion can potentially be. So I just want to explain kind of my take on why I believe that we take communion or why it's significant for us today. And I believe it's because it gives us a chance to not only hear that Jesus paid a price for us, that Jesus made a sacrifice for us so that we'd be made right with God, but it's actually to give us a tangible Reminder, something that we can taste, that we can touch, something that we can feel. So when you take that piece of bread, thank you, and you put it in your mouth and you feel it disintegrate in your mouth and you swallow it, you realize that there was a price that was to be paid and that Jesus bore that price, that this was his body that was absolutely broken for us so that we would have eternal life. The same with the cup. When you drink this cup. I don't know if God's crying right now or what's going on, but I think that's the rain. Um, But when you take this cup, it's the same. It's, It's a reminder that real blood was shed for you so you could be made right with God. So you could be set free, so you could have eternal life. So you don't have to worry about where you stand anymore. You're already accepted. There's nothing you can do. So what I want you to do right now is just to think about as you come up and you take communion, communion's open to everybody. I just want you to reflect on the price that Jesus paid, particularly if you're here today and you're wrestling with that older brother inside of you. I want you to just really think about you know, whether you're holding on to a false paradigm false way of thinking that has caused you to feel like you're a little bit better than other people. Feel like you have a little bit of an entitlement thing going on with God. So um, I'm just going to, music team's going to go ahead and, uh, and start. If you could hit the lights, Doug. And just as you feel led to come down, and then I'm going to close us in prayer. <laughs>